Well, it's a blessing to be back in God's house tonight, and I look forward to what God's going to do uh, in His, in our hearts through His Word, as He works through His Word to touch our hearts just where we need it. Uh, and that's just what we need, isn't it? We need God to work in us. And so we're going to be in Ezra again tonight. So if you'll find Ezra chapter 7 and stand with me, that'll be our text for tonight. Ezra chapter 7. When you find that, go ahead and stand with me and we'll read we'll read our verses. <clears throat> okay. Let's take a look at uh, chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 1 and we'll read through verse number 10. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to skip a few verses because there's some names that I will literally embarrass myself and you if I try to read them, okay? Now, I could just play my phone and let, you know, like Max McLean or somebody read it to you, but we'll just uh, start in verse 1 and then we'll skip to verse 6. Okay. The Bible says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes king of Persia, Ezra the son of Saria, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, then we'll stop right there, jump to verse number 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe. I love that phrase, a ready scribe. And it basically means what it says. He was a scribe, a, a deliverer of the word, a communicator of the word, and he was ready. I think that's tremendous. Let's go on. In the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and of the Levites and the singers and the porters and Nethanims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes king, the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. So in the process of going from where they are in Babylon to Jerusalem. So it's it's... It's the process of getting back to Jerusalem so that they might have worship. Okay, so revival is starting to happen. Um, look at verse 9 again. It says, For upon the first day of the first month began he, speaking of Ezra, to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem. Note these words. According to the good hand of his God upon him. Look at the last part of verse 6 again. It says, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So there's kind of a theme there. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, or rather the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. I want us to all read verse 10 together. Okay? So I'll read it out loud. Us all read it together. Follow along. Verse 10. Begin. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Israel prepared his heart to seek the Lord, the law of the Lord, and I love this, to do it. So Ezra was determined to be obedient to God and listen to this, he didn't even know what God was going to tell him to do. He had already determined, I'm going to do whatever God says. And I don't even know what God wants me to do yet. But I predetermined, I'm going to do it. So you know what that means? 
nothing's off limits to God. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because for revival, we need to live with that, with that spirit, with that attitude. For revival, nothing is off limits to God. Father, I pray you guide us, please, in your path. Lead us in your way. I pray for conviction tonight. I pray for power. I pray for clarity. Guide us, Lord. We need you to teach us, to reveal your word to us. And then, even now that we've mentioned what we're going to talk about, that I pray that perhaps there's somebody in the congregation tonight, all of us, who would decide that before even we know what you want us to do, that we would go ahead and decide now that we are, we're going to be obedient. And so I pray for courage with that. I pray for commitment in that. And we'll give you glory for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. How many of us would admit that we have been called hard-headed? Would you raise your hand? Okay. There's a couple of us. Now, I want to break something to you. When, the, when whoever told you that you're hard-headed said that to you, they weren't giving you a compliment. Okay? They were not complimenting you on the density of your skull. They weren't doing that. When I was a, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, we were in the backyard playing with some friends. We, had, we lived in the country, and the, the weeds were in parts of our yard. The weed was this tall. I mean, just country. We didn't mow all of this. So that's where we're playing, and you don't know what you're going to run into in those weeds either. So, I mean, there's a little bit of caution there because we, we encountered a few interesting things along the way, critters and, and stuff like that. But one time, playing in the backyard, we had a friend over, and we found a golf club that was bent. It was an iron. Of course, I didn't know the difference in all of it in those days, but I mean, we found this golf club in the yard, and so we were swinging that thing around. And my friend got a hold of it, and he's swinging around, and he had one hand on it, and he said, four. And you know, four means turn around and look. And that's what I, that's what I did. Four, he said, four. I turned around. Next thing I know, that, that golf club hit me right in the head. And I just remember flying backwards and laying in the weeds, staring up with like six of kids leaning over me. Are you okay? You know, and it was just stars. And I remembered reaching up with my hand to touch where he had hit me, and I saw blood. And then that's when I, you know, started crying. You know how kids do. It's the blood. It's like this little scratch on my head, you know. But I had this amazing scar that you used to be able to see. But then my receding hairline just kind of went so far back that it's, you know, it's sort of there. But I, I'm kind of proud of that. That's the golf club scar. It's like this little thing there. Okay. So when that happened, some of my family said, good thing you have a hard head. You know, in that instance, they were giving me a compliment by calling me hard headed. You know, good thing you have a hard head. We don't know where you'd be today, you know, if you have all your cognitive abilities. Uh, and so they said, you know, good thing you have a hard head. However, generally, if somebody says you have a hard head, what they're saying is you're stubborn. They're saying that you, you have a hardness about you and you're hard or difficult to convince about things or you're difficult to, you know, talk to about certain issues. So they're saying you're stubborn when they're saying you're hard headed. You know, that's how we can be with God sometimes. So that God wants to work in us. Now, listen, there is nobody in this room 
that God doesn't want to work in your heart. There's nobody here that God doesn't have something specific that He wants to do in you, in us. The difference between the people that God works in and stirs and moves and does a miraculous work in your life, stirring you and bringing you to a place of closeness to Him, what we would say is revival, is the ones who allow God to stir and work in their hearts versus the ones who are stubborn. Revival... Revival requires us to let God stir. We talked about that on Sundays in Sunday school. And then on the Sunday morning sermon, we talked about how if we're going to experience revival, then we're going to need to learn to get past the past. It's necessary. Then last night, we talked about how in the, in the course of revival, what you'll find is that when God is working, the devil fights. And so that becomes an indicator for you and me. It almost what the devil wants to use for evil to discourage us. Actually, God can use it to encourage us because we're going through a challenge and we can, we can identify, you know, it might be that we're going through this because God's working. I mean, I have, I have instances where we went through tremendous trials and this was, and my wife would remind, would remind me, Hey, remember we have revival coming up. And then in revival, we would see people get saved. We would see people get their hearts right with God. And then we could look back and say, you know, the devil wasn't too excited about what God's going to do in this revival. And so he wants to discourage us. And that teaches us. It teaches you and me that we can make identify, we can identify the attacks of Satan and use those as a blessing to encourage our hearts that God is working. God is working. But we need to let God work in our heart. God's working, but we need to decide that we're going to let Him work. We need to decide that we're not going to be stubborn. That we're not going to be uh, closed to what God wants to do in us. God would use Ezra to deliver a message that Israel needed to resume the work. Now, to deliver this message... To be a man who's going to follow through with God's plan, he would have to be a man who's not stubborn. By the way, if you want to serve God and be used of God, the chief, in my opinion, and I think there's plenty of biblical evidence to support this, the chief uh, characteristic, characteristics of servants of God is humility. And so it's the absence of, of being stubborn and hardness. And so God would use Ezra and he would need to be humble. He would need to be usable because he had an important message that he needed to deliver to God's people. It was time to worship. Now, there had been a time, and we did talk about this some last night, that it was where the temple was being built, but the, the adversaries came along and a letter was written that stopped the work. But then through the message of the prophets, God sent, uh, uh, God sent to the king, the, the research was made, and then the conclusion was come to that it was time to get back to work. And so God, through Darius, made commandment that the work would continue to build the temple. Go to chapter 6 and look at verse 3 with me. In the first year of Cyrus, this is the the letter that was recovered for Darius to see. 
and Cyrus had made a decree that the wall, or rather the temple would be built. And this is the discovery of that letter. In verse 3, it says this, In the year of Cyrus, the king, the king, the same Cyrus, the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be builded. So that was the decree. Darius responded to that by commanding that the work should continue. And so the work was resumed, and by the end of chapter 6, the temple was completed. The work was done. So the work was resumed, and then the work was completed. Go to verse 14 of chapter 6. It says this, The elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, also the prophet, and look what it says. They builded and finished it. So the, the work of the building of the temple was resumed and it was completed. So now when we get to chapter 7, it's time for Israel to gather together the supplies of worship and make their way to Jerusalem so that they could have the revival of worship that they were building towards. Now the timeline leading into chapter 7 is this. After the death of King Darius, his son Xerxes ruled for 20 years. Now Xerxes is the same Ahasuerus mentioned in the book of Esther. This meant that the chronology of Ezra between chapter 6 and chapter 7 was the entire book of Esther. And in that story, God used Esther and her courage to save the nation of Israel. Remember the book of Esther? God used her courage to stand before the king to save the nation. And then God used the, the instance of Esther and the testimony of Mordecai to bring Mordecai into an influence. So that's Xerxes. The son of Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, was Artaxerxes. That's his son. And so in chapter 7, verse 1, take a look at it. The first verse of chapter 7 says, Now, after these things. That phrase literally means 57 years later. It was the reign of Artaxerxes, the king. That's Ahasuerus' son. Darius's grandson. And so, it was during his reign that... Ezra then found favor in the eyes of the king so that, so that he might go back to the land of Jerusalem and begin the, the, the worship of God again. Now you would read that and you would think, wow, you know, I wonder if God used Esther and Mordecai to have an influence on a young Artaxerxes who would become later become the king and then would allow the nation of Israel to go worship. Now that's a reasonable conclusion because of the testimony of Esther and the testimony, the influence of Mordecai that Artaxerxes would have perhaps been influenced by them. But that wasn't ultimately the reason why Ezra led Israel back to the nation, to Jerusalem to worship. What, what would have been the reason then? Here's the reason. The Bible clearly says it twice. Because Ezra had the hand of God on him. That's what caused the nation of Israel to be released to go back to worship. 
the last phrase of verse 6. In fact, let's read all of verse 6 again. This Ezra went up from Babylon and was a ready scribe. I love that. I said this earlier. I love that phrase. He, he was ready. What made him ready? It goes on, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his request, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Then in verse 9, the last phrase, according to the good hand of his God upon him. So the king granted Ezra all his requests. He supported him. He gave him the resources. He gave them the authority. He opened the door so that, that Ezra could lead Israel back to Jerusalem to worship. And it was because God was, God's hand was on him. Now, when it says that he was a ready scribe, let's just say this. He was ready. Can I tell you that's what we need? We need to be ready. And to be ready, we need God's hand on us. What made Ezra ready? What was it that allowed Ezra or gave Ezra the privilege of having God's hand on him? To be used of God in this way. Look at verse number 10. For Ezra had, say those next three words, prepared his heart. Let's look at verse 10. Let's say it again. For Ezra had prepared his heart. That's the key. Ezra had prepared his heart literally means that he was inwardly determined. He decided. He made a decision. What was the decision? I'm going to study the law of God as a ready scribe. I'm going to study. We're going to do some work in this. And then when I learn what God wants... I'm predetermined. I've already decided I'm going to do what God says. And so because he had that spirit, by the way, the reason why he was motivated ultimately is because he also wanted to teach the nation of Israel. What Ezra wanted was revival. What Ezra wanted was a revival of worship in the nation of Israel. He had the hand of God on him. He was a ready scribe. What made him ready was that he had God's hand. And what gave him God's hand is that he went into the study of the Word of God with a prepared heart, willing to do whatever God taught him to do. <clears throat> like a blank check. Lord, whatever you speak to me about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to you. I'm going to obey you. Why, why would he do that? He needed God's hand on him. And the revival of worship required him to have God's hand on him. You and I need God's hand on us. Sometimes that's just what we don't have. Now, I'm not saying that we didn't show up. I'm not saying that in some cases we're not going through the motions. I'm not saying that we're not doing the outward things. But we're doing the things that we do, and it's almost like an empty ceremony. It's, it's like we're going through the motions. We're doing the do's and we're avoiding the don'ts, but we don't have God's hand on us. The Pharisees were good at doing the do's and avoiding the don'ts, but they didn't have God's hand on them. 
The Bible says in James, draw nigh. God says this to us. You draw nigh to me. And you know what he'll do? He'll draw nigh to you. But we don't have a closeness to God. His hand isn't on us. It's not because he's not made himself available. It's not because he's not there. The Bible says, he, he says this, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow thee all the days of thy life. He, he, uh, he is Jehovah Shammah. It means I am that I am there. By the way, Jehovah is the covenant name of God. A covenant is a promise. It means he is who he is. He can, he will not change. He cannot change. It's a promise. The promise of God is this, Shema, I am that I am there. I'm available. You need to draw nigh to me. I've made myself available to you. I desire to put my hand on you. The hand of God is not on us at times because we have not drawn nigh to Him. But we have pursued other things in life and we've went away from God and His hand isn't on us. And you know, if we're willing to admit it tonight without stubbornness, then we, we feel that that's true. <clears throat> Often in this case, if there's stubbornness there, then there's a kind of blindness that comes along with that. Let me say that again. That was pretty good. If there's a stubbornness there in us, then what comes along with that stubbornness is a kind of blindness. But it's very selective blindness. What do you mean? I mean, we can see the problems that other people have but we can't very well see the problems that we have. We can see perhaps that along the way, well, they did that because God's hand isn't on them, but maybe we've neglected to notice that God, God's hand isn't on us either. It's sort of a selective blindness. God wants to put His hand on us, but when there's stubbornness there, we don't see it. We don't see that we need it. Now, I have severe vision issues, okay? Now, I have contacts on so I can see you. But don't ask, even with my contacts, don't ask me to see things that are far away, okay? You know, even big things with my contacts. Now, when I was in college, that's when I started to learn I have, I have real vision issues because I couldn't see anything. I couldn't read the the curriculum, the books that I, you know, I, I mean, you know how you do, right? You're like holding it and you're like, oh, I need it. So I went to Walmart and got some glasses. That's always the best way to do it, you know? But I was able to at least, you know, do my schoolwork. It would have been my junior year that I finally went to an optometrist. Well, why did you wait that long? Well, for a couple of reasons. Mostly I was in college and any extra money that I had, we're going to Taco Bell, okay? Forget glasses, you know. So went to the optometrist and they did the vision test and the test results came back. You don't see very good, you know. I mean, there was technical numbers and stuff, but let me just translate it for you. You don't see very well. So we ordered the glasses. This was pre-contacts for me and I had glasses. And when I put my glasses on, I could see very well, but it was like Coke bottles, you know, it was like I turned around, I had Coke bottles on my eyes. It was embarrassing. My eyes were like this big. I mean, it was, it was, uh, when I would go into some place, people would see me and then they'd look at me again, like, whoa, those are, those are huge eyes, you know? I'm like, yes, all the better to see you with, you know? So I had these big glasses. 
because I couldn't see well, then contacts, and then, it, you know, I get, didn't get made fun of as much. So fast forward, and I'm in Nebraska, and we're having a revival, and we have a guest preacher, and he does a tremendous revival. We had a few people saved at it, and it was just an awesome time. He and I went to college together. We're good friends. It was great fellowship. And so it's the, he needs to fly back to Idaho, where he's from, where he pastors, and his flight, I don't know why he did this, but we had to leave at four in the morning to get to his to the airport so he could get on his flight. So I set my alarm. Actually, here's the issue. I forgot to set my alarm. You know, I don't know how this happened, you know, but I, I forgot to set my alarm and it was past four o'clock. I just I think God nudged me. You know, when Peter was in prison and then the angel was kicking him, you know, hey, come on. I think God did that to me because I just I woke up and then I thought I woke up. And then when you you know, when you realize you're late, you wake up and then you wake up. Oh, no. And I run in and it's like 420 and we were supposed to leave at four. And the problem is, is my friend, he was staying at the missions apartment at the church, which was only a half a mile from my house. But he didn't know where my house was. And so at four o'clock, when he realized that I had forgotten and overslept, he took his suitcase and he was just walking down the middle of the street with his suitcase. And he was just hoping by God's grace, he would find my house. You know, he's just meandering down the streets at four in the morning, you know, and I could tell I was like, man, I bet he's praying. So I called him. I said, I just woke up. I'm on my way. And he hustled back. He wasn't too far from the church at that point. So he hustled back to the church. I just, man, I put my house shoes on. And I had my pajamas on and I'm out the door. I mean, I am gone. I pick him up and, and he's like, I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to be fine. We're, we're getting on the road. But I realized I forgot my glasses. You know, I don't sleep with my contacts on. And I was in such a rush. I just ran out the door and I didn't have my glasses on. So we're just chit-chatting, and he doesn't realize I can't really see anything. So I'm driving and we're on the inter interstate. It's like 4.30 in the morning or five, getting close to five, we're on the highway and we're getting close to the exit that we need to take, but I can't see any, I can't read any of the signs, you know? So there's a sign that maybe is a little ways up. It, I mean, it's not too far, but it's a ways up, but I could see green. It was green and anything that was on there, it was just like smudge, you know? So I said to him, I said, uh, we're just chatting about ministry and about this and the revival and how good it was. And then just matter of factly, I said, hey, what does that sign say? <laughs> he goes, you can't see that? I said, no. He said, that's real big, man. <laughs> that's real big. I said, yeah, I know. What's it say? <laughs> and we were able to get off. And, and he made it okay. Listen, he got all paranoid for no reason. We were safe. <laughs> you know, that often happens with us in this sense, that we're blind. We're blind to what God wants us to do. We see everything else, but we don't see the path that God is leading us on. It's smudged. It's blurry because the stubbornness of our own hearts won't let God work. God wants to work in you. He wants to work in us. And the stubbornness of our hearts won't let him. We hear a message and we think, oh man, I sure wish so-and-so was here for that one. They really needed it. Time out. I think you might have needed it more than you think you do. And we can be so blind to what God wants to do in us. And so blind that we don't take the exits that we need to. 
We miss out on the blessings that God has. And we get on a path that leads us not to blessings, but to challenges and heartaches that we don't need in our life. Because we're avoiding the direction God is leading us. Because we're too stubborn to see it. We won't prepare our hearts. We won't open our hearts to what God wants to do. And so what happens is along the way in life, because of our stubbornness and our blindness and what God desires to do, but we won't let Him, His hand begins to pull, be pulled away. Because we, not have, we have not decided to draw nigh to Him so that He might draw nigh to us. We have decided to go away from Him and, and leave Him and leave His hand. Pastor or preacher, I really would desire to have revival in my life. You, what, you, what you're really wanting is God's hand on you. Well, how do I, how do I get God's hand on me? It, it's not complicated. You just needed to prepare your heart. That's all Ezra did. He had God's hand on him. And what brought God's hand on him was a heart that was prepared. Now, can you be specific on what you mean that God wants to prepare my heart? Sure. God, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do, but when you ask me, I'm determined that I'm going to do what you want me to do. That's a prepared heart. Pride won't let us see the problems in our own life so that God might work to fix it. Jim Berg said this, Changed into His Image is the book I'm quoting if you've read that book. Here's what he said. Our greatest problems are never around us. They are always in us. <clears throat> Revival is a heart issue. It'll always be the case. Revival of our personal walk is 100% related to your heart and not your circumstances. To your decisions and not somebody else's. You know, I would do this if so-and-so would do this. Our revival isn't related to that. <clears throat> My boys like to eat. And that's probably pretty normal. In fact, they get it from their dad. Um, and we have... We have some Hispanic members in our church that are from Mexico, and they, from time to time, give us salsa. That's homemade salsa. And it's like, it's like life-changingly good. You know what I mean? But I have to hide it, you know, in my house. I have to hide it. It's, I, okay, so I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. I really, this, I shouldn't, but I really like bad food for me, okay? I like Twinkies a lot and Ding Dongs a lot. I'm not sure which one I like better, okay? Uh, my kids like them too, though. And so recently, somebody from church found out that I like that, and I like cherry pie too. And I announce this at church from time to time just to remind people, you know, that uh, about it, you know. Running out of cherry pie, I'm just saying I really like it. And anyway, so anyway, so so somebody got me a box of ding dongs and Twinkies, and I ate one of each, and then suddenly they're all of them are gone. 
the entire both boxes are gone. So if I want to keep things, I, I literally have to hide them, you know. Uh, or or in, in the salsas the same way. Here's what we have to say if we're going to experience revival. God, nothing is off limits to you. In other words, God, I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm not going to say that jar is off limits, like I say to my boys. We need a heart that's ready to pursue God. We need a heart that says, God, when you speak to me, I will listen. God, nothing's off limits to you. Nothing. When I was in high school, I had a girlfriend, and this was not a good thing. Um, God had called me to be a pastor, and the relationship that I had with this young lady was inappropriate. And so when I graduated and I went to Bible college, I remembered sitting in one of my first classes in the first few weeks of school, and the teacher, the professor, was teaching slash preaching, because that's you know how it was in Bible college. You hear a lesson, but it was also a sermon. And in the middle of that class, I started to get convicted. And I heard the Lord. It was as though I could hear the Lord speaking to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was as though God was speaking to me as clear as an audible voice would be. And the Lord was giving me this instruction. He was in class. He was telling me, you can be a pastor and in the ministry, or you can be with that girl but you're not going to be able to do both. And so while I was in class and the Lord was speaking to me, I had to make a decision. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to say, I'll do anything you want me to do, God, except this, because this right here is off limits. I had to make a hard decision. And in that moment, I decided I wanted to be in the ministry. And so I had to make a hard phone call that night and talk to her dad and talk to her. And it was a crushing moment in her life and in her family and in my life. But I can say with confidence that with the, with the Lord's guidance, it put me on the path to lead me to where I am today. All because of what? Because I prepared my heart. In that instance in my life, I was willing to say this, God, when you speak to me, I'm going to do it. God, when you speak to me, or when I come into the message, nothing's going to be off limits. And then what comes as a result of that is a revival where God puts his hand back on you. That's what we need tonight. It might be tonight that God has been working in your heart about some things that he wants you to do or some things he wants you to not do. And he's leading you in this path. And you have perhaps you've been tempted to think about all the other things, all the other people, all the other circumstances. Instead of and and making yourself blind to what God is wanting us to do or wanting you to do. 
saying, this thing is off limits, Lord. And you can live that way, but the hand of God will be lifted and you won't have the kind of revival that God wants you to have. So in the end, the messages that we started with are leading up to this moment in your life. So that you are given right now an ultimatum where God says, I want to put my hand back on you. But to have that, you're going to have to prepare your heart. How do I do that? A decision to say, God, when you speak to me, nothing's off limits. Think about that for a second. Nothing is off limits. You make that decision and then respond in obedience when he speaks to you because he will. His hand will come back. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like it. It's sort of like trying to explain the peace of God. You can't explain it but you're sure glad you have it. And that's what God wants to give you. That's the revival that comes to our soul when we decide, Lord, when you speak to me, nothing is off limits. God, how about this? God, you can have the whole jar. You can have the whole jar. Whatever you want. I hope that you'll decide that tonight. Take Ezra's example and prepare your heart. Nothing's off limits. Every head's bowed. Nobody's looking around. It might be that this specific challenge is exactly where you've been struggling. And you might not even be able to explain yet the things that you know God wants you to do that you're avoiding, but what has caused you to understand the struggle of what we've talked about tonight is because you have lived without God's hand on you and you feel that. Let me encourage you to seek Him tonight with an open heart, a prepared heart, to say, God, whatever you want, nothing's off limits. Now would be the time to respond. Father, I pray your blessings and invitation. Put your blessing on the hearts, in the hearts of those who need to turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.